friends, welcome to episode 176 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. And we're both a little bit out of breath. A little breath. winded. Just a little winded. We, uh, we, got, we got sat down and then I was like, oh, I need, a, I need a spoon to stir the honey into the tea with. And you were like, I don't have my tablet. Yeah, <laughs> so I, both... I don't have the show in front of me. I'm in trouble now. <laughs> we, both, we both had a little bit of a just, jog right just, before just we Just a little, little one. Little one, down. so... But I'm going to deliberately pause the the background timer because I know this show is going to go over, and I really don't care. I mean, our system spotlights always do. They always do, but like... You're you're prepped for... I am prepped for what is coming. From first steps into this to dinner, I I, I knew what I was walking into. It is beloved... This this game is beloved by you, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, it's not just you. There's there, thirty million people have played this game. Yeah, yeah. And that says a lot. Do you want to say what this game is for? Uh, you know, all the listeners out there who may not know that tonight's system spotlight is. So tonight's system spotlight is Dark Souls the RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, some of you are aware that it was kickstarted. Um, just this uh past or during COVID actually. Uh, and, um, it, uh, the IP was picked up by, uh, Steamforge, Steamforge games. games. Yep. Um, but originally it was a, uh, it's a Namco, a Bandai Namco game, uh, that was released in 2011. I think originally only on PlayStation, correct? Uh, yeah, originally on PlayStation. Um, uh, it started off with actually Demon Souls. Um, uh, and then, yes. uh, Dark Souls 1 came out. Uh, that was then... It was ported to PC. Correct. Yeah. Um, and then I think when uh, Dark Souls Remastered, which is uh, just the remastered version of Dark Souls 1, yeah. um, then it kind of came out in a lot of different other places. But basically PC and PlayStation. Uh, uh, but yeah, but, the, PlayStation. but the, the mythos lore was uh, Dark Souls original mm-hmm. 2 and 3 was 2011, 2014, and 2016. Yes. And then it was remastered in 2018. Uh, but in 2016, when Dark Souls 3 came out, was... This, there was kind of a kickoff of things. So, like, a comic book was released. There was a, um, a I want to say there was a uh, concert that also happened um, that was a, a big thing. Uh, and this, uh, the role-playing game, kind of also was brewing at the exact same time. So it was all a big culmination on Dark Souls 3. Yeah, yeah. Um, as like a hey, look at this thing, and and I'll tell you what I mean. Like it, it, it worked too because yeah. like Dark Souls three really had some longevity as a as a video game. Um, uh, like it or like it or hate it, uh, it, you know. I uh, watch, like, Twitch and YouTube and stuff like that quite a bit, um, and there's actually someone that, like, I'm subscribed to on Twitch that literally up until Elden Ring was released was just doing, like, Dark Souls, or Dark Souls 3 PvP, you know? Yeah. Uh, and they haven't just, like, great fun with it and stuff like that. Really great guy. Uh, as, uh, Saint Riot, so I'll give him a little shout-out here. Um, and, uh, you know, plays a bunch of other different games and whatnot. What really caught me is he put, like, a bunch of, like, Final Fantasy Tactics ma- uh, music and stuff like that in his videos. And I was like, ah, this guy likes the same games I do. Um, but yeah, I mean, and what's interesting was, like, from my perspective, like, my first role-playing game was Robotech. Yeah. Palladium's Robotech. It was their take on uh, on an anime. 
And for me, that was really cool because, like, I enjoyed Robotech as much as what Robotech was because it was giant freaking robots in space. Mm -hmm. And that's just cool. Like, I, I get to fly around and shoot missiles and weird clusters and punch giant aliens in their battle armor. Yeah. Like, it was everything. It was heroic. It was it had all the ridiculousness in it. And, and it was like, oh, so we're getting a Dark Souls game. Sarah loves Dark Souls. We got we got to do a system spotlight on this, and I got worried because the reviews weren't great to start with, and there was a lot of people who during the Kickstarter were like, literally the PDF that came out was garbage. There was all kinds of errors in it. People just didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was also a board game that had come out that did pretty decently. Yeah, the board game's got several expansions. The miniatures yeah. for it look uh, look amazing. I mean, it, it people said for a board game, it felt like Dark Souls. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I saw it played, uh, just I watched some YouTube videos because I was curious about it. And uh, I don't think I'll ever pick it up myself. I might yeah. just for the miniatures if there's, yeah, if there's yeah, one yeah. or two that I, that I really like. But, um, but yeah, no, it, I mean, it looks like it it plays very you know very dark soulsy and stuff of that like it's it's pretty cool right right and and like you were telling me a little bit about one part of it which i I did end up looking up was where as you're uh as you're fighting it much like the game uh when you fight an enemy they go through a series of moves Mm -hmm. and that creates the quintessential get good that a piece that Dark Souls kind of creates. Yeah, which because is once this... once you learn what their series of moves, what order their series of right. moves comes in, you can learn to strategize around it. Yeah, I mean, you if know? you're in D&D and you always, you know, you, you, you fight a beholder for the first time, and the first thing it does is a ray of frost, and then it does a ray of disintegration, and then after that it tries a bite attack, and mm-hmm. does one other thing, and then it tries this eye, and then the next time you fight one, it starts with a ray of frost, and then does a disintegrate, yeah. and then you're like, okay, now you know how to fight, how to unpack these things. Now, right. it doesn't mean that the dice are going to be in your favor. Sure, Just sure. as much as in Dark Souls, your hands slip off controls, sometimes you come with a little less health, maybe a different equipment loadout, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a, a formula. Yeah. And that formula followed much older games, mm-hmm. side-scrollers, top-down games that we would play where the enemies would come at you in a very specific pattern. And if you re- if you could recall all of that, you could play games like Galga and other things and just move through those games in a beautiful way. Yeah, it was very much like choreographing a dance. Exactly. Um, I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. And, uh, you know, I think Dark Souls was no exception to that. Uh, I mean, I've, I've got a... Uh, I'm not. I mean, that not that long of a history with the with the series, but I've got a history with the series. You know. I mean, did you have the PlayStation Edition? Uh, I did not. So when did you step in? Um. So, I had picked up the Dark Souls Prepare to Die Edition on PC, uh, and I think I picked it up in like a uh, humble bundle or something like that. You know, for like yeah, five bucks. Sure. I originally wasn't going to get it because I all I knew about Dark Souls was it's that game that you die all the time in. Yeah, the good decision. You died, and and it, well, it, yeah, and as, and as someone who's who's struggled with depression all of my life, like it's getting my ass kicked for you know forty five solid minutes just mm-hmm. doesn't sound like a great way. You know, here I'm going to hand you loss after loss after loss. Cool, right. sounds right. like a great way to spend the evening. Exactly, and even you know, the name on it, prepare to die edition. It's like, all right, you know, and I thought that was a really unfortunate name once I got into the game because, uh. I had a, a, a friend um, uh, that, I, that I met through Sean who uh, uh, encouraged me to play the game. And I was like, eh, I don't want to for all the reasons I just stated. And he's like, mm-hmm. no, no, seriously, it's not like that. Right. Like, 
yeah, you'll probably die. Like, I'm not going to say you're not going to because it is. It's a it's a brutal game. Sure. But it's fair. If you right. engage with the game, mm-hmm. if you learn the mechanics, mm-hmm. you will find that it is very fair. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were getting killed, you probably shouldn't be there. You should go someplace else. Explore. Work around problems. Mm-hmm. Learn. And there's basically no penalty for dying. Yeah, you leave and come back with a cannon to shoot that dude. Good for you. You went and got the cannon. Every time I round this corner, a giant skeleton kicks me off into the abyss. What do I do when I round that corner next time? Right. Not, How do I handle you know... <laughs> that? Right. Do I take a half step and let him jump off on himself? Yeah. You know? Bait him out, hit yeah. him from range, but learn from it. Learn yeah. from the experience. Throw a and... bomb in the corner of the, you know, as the, yeah. And keep going. And um, it worked. Like, that That description of the game got me into it. And I, I engaged with it, and it was a little bit of a bumpy start at first. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, the point of the game isn't dying. The point of the game is overcoming. Yeah, you know, and that's why I think I think like "Prepare to Die" edition was a very unfortunate name for it because mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, okay, you're gonna die, but like that's not that's not why we're here, you know. I I, I oftentimes say that like Dark Souls cured my depression. Hmm. I don't say cured. I mean, cured's a big word. It's a it's, big word, but, but I mean, nice, it's it but feels it's a nice good. shorthand because it taught me a lot about perseverance. Yeah. Okay, it taught me the mentality of. That, that that stumbling, that dying, that that getting knocked down mm-hmm. in life is not the end of things. Right. You know, it is a setback, sure, but you can always get back up. Right. You start back at the bonfire, but you get back up, you slam your head against that wall again, and maybe it takes you five tries. Mm-hmm. Maybe it takes you 50 tries, but you keep getting up from the bonfire, and you keep going. Right. And that is a mentality that has literally gotten me through menti- mental health crises. Yeah. Once you recognize something like that, it's powerful. It's very powerful. And so I, I beat Dark Souls 1. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, and then I, I decided I wanted to play the games in order, so mm-hmm. I decided to play through Dark Souls 2. Uh, I actually already saw Knox in the Box mentioned that I uh, recorded it and posted it to YouTube. You did. You did. Um. I didn't get into any of the DLCs because uh, the DLCs were just painfully, like, difficult for difficulty's sake. Like, the sure. people writing them were like, oh, this game is supposed to be difficult. Let's just make it obnoxious. Sure. And uh, I wasn't having fun anymore. Um, right. Then I, I moved on to Dark Souls 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got most of the way through it. I think I just AD, ADHD, like, d- got distracted by another game and then forgot There was a lot existed. going on, yeah. And I just haven't gotten back to it. But I got most of the way through it. Sure. Um, I'm in the Grand Archives, if anybody cares. Just beat uh, Dragon Slayer Armor. Mm-hmm. But um, you've also moved on to other games that mimicked it in many ways. Yeah, uh, I um, I got most of the way through Sekiro. Again, uh, didn't quit, didn't rage quit. I just, you know, right. got distracted by other things. I'm on and great, great elder. It's basically a, uh, I, I'm not, I can't say that it is a Japanese themed uh, samurai story. It's 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 in a similar vein. It's made by the same people from software, right. and it's, right. it's basically Ninja Dark Souls. Yeah. But but different, yeah. But Ninja Dark Souls, yeah. And it it definitely has the same feel in a lot of ways. The mechanics have a lot of the same matchups. There's a rhythm to playing it. Yeah. The fighting styles that you do in it have that same learn, listen in this game, listen, learn, oh yeah, discover, and and that then allowed you to help me understand that like. You wanted me to step into Elden Ring, yeah, which was I, this, which is why I think it was so madly popular, 
was that the people who were uh, who were hawking that were the thirty million who bought Dark Souls and went, oh yeah, oh this is the new one. Let's see what they did. And it was phenomenal. No, it was. And you actually had me start with Dark Souls One. Dark Souls One, exactly. I was like, we're we're going like Elden Ring drops in like three months. We got to get through Dark Souls One. And I got through a decent part. You got through a decent part, yeah. And I, but I got to enough en- to prime you for Elden Ring that when right. you walked into Elden Ring, you weren't like deer in the headlights. Right, right. And that the rules were all still set in my head of yeah. like, you're not gonna step up to everything and win. Yeah. Or barely win. In some cases, you're gonna flat out lose, but you're gonna learn something in that process. Exactly. You know. And I think that was the 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 point for me because you had talked so much about Dark Souls and the lore and the people involved and I'd watched some of your playthroughs with you live while you were recording them. And then we had gone into Dark Souls together and you basically were a tour guiding me through it while I was fighting. At times, like you'd help me through sections. At other times, you'd be like, step on in you need to learn this kind of mm-hmm. a thing and you know like did you do this no okay well let's let's see how this went hey, you know letting me the moment i walk through the door well don't be in the doorway yeah exactly <laughs> you know or oh this this room has a boulder just wait for it yeah, like, yeah, yeah it took me a long time to get through this it's not that important let's get through this section here but this next room is really cool check this stuff out yeah and you you show me these lore bits that are not handed to you in cinema mm-hmm. they're handed to you in little bits of text on an item that are then combined with the scene, this environment that's being told in a story, that is then stretched over the length of the game in an exquisite way. Yeah. You had said that every stone, every tree, every placement in the background that you see is something important and has value. Yeah, yeah. It's an artist's representation in 3D of a story without the necessity of hard words. Yeah. And it's, it's it is environmental storytelling at its absolute best. Um, I mean, I would say the core of the Dark Souls experience for me was like not only all that a great environmental storytelling, um, like there's basically no cutscenes. Yeah, uh, like you said, like every every uh, the item descriptions, like yeah. it's a lot of it's like you pick up a dagger and you're like, okay, cool, I got a dagger, but like read the description of the dagger, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. It'd give you a little clue as to, like, a little bit of history or a little or who, a person who owned it before or something yeah, like that. who owned it, and then now you have a name that ties to some other name that uh, referenced them, you know? But laborious detail in, in all of these things. And then you set this whole story in what I like to describe as the corpse of a dying world. Mm-hmm. You know? Um it's it's a it's a world that is literally on life support and you're kind of as the player character handed the question of like do you do you pull the plug or do you try to resuscitate it you know right and then you know the the, the kind of question is like does it matter because we make very clear through the story that time is cyclic you know mm-hmm. entropy is constant if you do resuscitate the world if you do rekindle the flame mm-hmm. it's just going to die again it right. might take a thousand years, but it'll. You're, someone else is going to be in your shoes with the same responsibility. Mm-hmm. Or do you just let it die once and for all? Do you not kindle the flame and let darkness come? Mm-hmm. And again, will that even matter? Will it get re- re- rekindled sometime in the future? Right. Will there be another you or know, another moment? You're you're out there killing killing the gods. Do they deserve to die? Are you a good guy? Are you a bad guy? Does it even matter if time is cyclic? And entropy is constant if you kill gods? Yeah. Do they matter in the grand scheme of things? Yeah. This has all happened before. It will all happen again. 
Well, and, and not know? only that, but like every aspect layers. Like we were talking about how it the game teaches you that reality is fractured. You are just a part of this reality and your version of it is different, which is why you see glimpses of other you individuals. See phantoms. You right. can summon phantoms. You just see them walking around occasionally. That's other people's actual gameplay. That's not scripted stuff that they put in there. That's literally other games talking to the network and showing you glimpses of other players. Right. And so sometimes you might see them dying. Sometimes mm-hmm. you might see them fighting someone else. Sometimes you might just see them by the fire. But that's them playing. Yeah. That's their reality. And then you get, like, your NPCs. Mm-hmm. They're rare, but they're all important. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they don't... Uh, Dark Souls is not a game that, like, litters with, you know, thousands of people who all say, Hello! Mm-hmm. And that's it, you know? Yeah. Have you heard of the High Elves? Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, like, one of my one of my best examples of, like, an NPC in, uh, is, like, uh, the Knight of Thorns, Kirk. Yeah. Um, I love his backstory because when you meet him, he invades you. And yeah. so you're thinking, red man bad. You know, mm-hmm. he's 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 red. He's an invader. He's he's coming in here to try to kill me. He's the bad guy. Right. Well, then you find him a little bit later. If you beat him three times, um, you actually can get his armor, and you start reading the descriptions on the armor, and you see where you find his armor mm-hmm. is in the uh uh the room where Quayleg's sister is, who's been like warped by chaos and turned into a weird spider oh, demon. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She can't even speak unless you've got a special magical item to be able to understand her. Right. Um, and Kirk serves her and has been invading other people to try to uh, harvest humanity to feed her to keep her alive. Yeah, because he cares. Because he cares about her. And it's like, oh, I thought this guy was a jerk before because he tried to kill me, but now I kind of like him. Yeah. Uh, and every NPC is like that. Like some, some are clearly insane and murderous and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. like even, you know, everybody's kind of got a reason. Everybody's got a little bit of backstory and stuff like that. And it's just really rich experience if you choose to engage with it. Yeah. You, you, you are constantly asking yourself, am I doing the right thing on my path? Am I the good guy? Is there a good guy? Does, does it matter? Does good and evil even matter? Right. In 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 such a setting. Yeah, what's my what's really my motivation? Yeah. And 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 that's the thing is is that the game really presents all of that in a very simple interface. It really does. But really does. beautifully done. And all of that 18 now 19 minutes into the show is the setup for our thesis statement that none of that is explored in the in the tabletop RPG version of this game. So I'm I'm just going to put this out there. I cannot <laughs> guarantee. I cannot guarantee that the rest of this episode won't be demonetized or kicked off of a platform no, or marked no, as no. explicit. We're, we're going to keep because it of a moment. But we're going to do our best not to swear um because although I have feelings about what I feel about Dark Souls, I have strong feelings about what I think this book was trying to do and what it completely failed at. Yeah. As far as just yeah. a storytelling platform. Yeah. Um, the book is 382 digital pages. I am going to flat out say that it, the, I, I was going to break down how it's broken up and like the number of pages and things. But to be perfectly honest, I think after going through it, the usage of those pages is sometimes the worst. Depictions. So I might say that, oh yeah, there's you know twenty pages devoted to DMing, but a lot of those pages have blank space. 
uh, the, the artwork is beautiful. I will say that. Sure. The artwork is beautiful. It's actually, like, aesthetically a very pleasing book. I agree. Um, I have nothing bad to say about that. The, the PDF is awfully optimized, it's, though. It's terribly optimized. I think when I initially opened it and started scanning, pa- started flipping through pages, it was taking up 800 megabytes of memory. Yeah, I have um 48 gigabytes of RAM on my computer now. And a decent and system. Was, there, there were a couple, like, full-page spreads I was, like, scrolling past that it was going, what are you trying to do? And it was choking on yeah. that, you know? And actually, Adobe po- uh, Adobe Reader, you cannot copy and paste out of. Yeah. Out of the document. I had to have it in Google's Reader mm. to be able to even pull text out of the, the document itself, which was painful. Yeah. It was exceptionally painful. And it's not because it's image scripted. It, it The layering is just really, really poor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. And not only that, but like reviews on the initial release of this, when they first, when the Kickstarter came to a close and they, they finished the first version of it, it was mm-hmm. not a draft. It was a final version that went out to people. It had bugs and editing errors and double type and all kinds of mistakes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, places where like descriptions of spells were just the descriptions of other spells. Copy-pasted, like, yeah. Yeah, it didn't even change the names on them or anything like that. Yeah, like, and, and it's... It it still feels like that that's the case in much of the book. Um, I I, I did see somebody else. Um, because I you know we would do a lot of research on these things. We try to cram all this uh stuff into you know one episode. Um, so yeah. I was watching some other YouTubers out there, um, who were doing lengthier reviews of the book and such like that. Yeah. So and, uh, on like the third revision, they got most of the major typo. You know, yeah. typos taken care of. And the, the, the good books that are being printed are based upon that revision, the one that we have. Yes. Even even one or two of the typos I saw uh, t- uh, in uh, pointed out in one of the videos, it was from like two months ago or something mm-hmm. like that. Was correct. I couldn't, I couldn't find any yeah. of that stuff. In, in August, they, yeah. they and that's why I kind of waited to see what release point we were going to get. Yeah. And why we didn't jump on it as early as we did. So. Uh, so... I will say this before we get into any more of this. Sure. At the very on the very cover of the book, it says five E compatible. Mm-hmm. It does not say D and D. It does not say D twenty. There's no reference to Dungeons and Dragons in any way. It just says five E. And in the book, there is no direct reference to Dungeons and Dragons, except to say that if you know of a of the 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 world's oldest RPG. PG, then you know how to play this game. And it's clearly a D20 game with 100% the spirit of Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, it is Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. It is. I mean, well, we, we, I mean, they've done their own things to, to change how certain certain mechanics in there work. Right. But like 80-90% of it is D&D 5th Edition. Which I have critical problems with later, but we'll get to that. Um but but yeah, it was it reminded me a lot of like with the buzz surrounding the Super Bowl, you know, where Super yes. Bowl is a you know, uh, is a, a trademarked term. You can't market using the term Super Bowl. But you can say the big game. Yeah, yeah, it's the big game. You know, if you, you were getting a Tostitos for uh, the big game this weekend, right? Mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. You're going to watch the big game? Yeah. It's It just reminded me of that, where it's like, you know, uh, yeah, you know that uh, that really old role-playing game that everybody's familiar with? Yeah. If you're familiar with that, you'll recognize these mechanics. Yeah. Okay. So saying that... The setting and the feel is often where I like to start. And we just talked about the setting and feel that the video games present. Yep. Dark Souls 1, Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3 all sit within this framework of a dark, deep, 
dying world of where entropy is the truth. Yep. Time and space really don't mean much anymore, and yeah. the old gods need to be expunged to either make way for the new world or... Yeah. Whereas, literally, this book feels like it didn't understand that. Yeah. Uh, like, it got, a, on... it got a C on the book report. <laughs> Uh, just really focused on the wrong thing. Um, it feels like the thesis statement of this entire game is that Dark Souls is a game about difficult combat and dying, yeah. and that the, the the details don't matter because it's uh, just a bunch of random stuff anyways. Uh, spoopy dungeons, who cares? Yeah. It's really about the death and the dying and the killing and the combat. Yeah, everything is, is murderous to you in one way or another, and it's and, and it's not even sad. It's not even sad. There's there, there, The book doesn't even address... Other than to say that things are hollow, and 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 falling apart, and it's just it's tragic, but there's no despair listed. There's it doesn't feel like the book doesn't feel tired as much as Dark Souls should feel tired. Yeah, yeah. Like like when you enter Dark Souls. After an hour, you should be tired by the feeling of the setting. Mm-hmm. Everyone is tired in Dark Souls. <laughs> because just, the world is going. There's no the energy. the world is tired. Yeah. yeah, there's no energy. Everyone's either undead or like a, a fractured version of the original self that's just eternalized because there's no life. Every kingdom's fallen. There is no current kingdom. Yeah. They're all fallen. Yeah. They're all in ruins. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We lost. <laughs> Everybody lost. But it doesn't have that feel. It feels dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Darkly, not like cryptically dangerous, just dangerous. Um, And it doesn't even have all of Dark Souls. It focuses on Dark Souls 3. Almost which is, exclusively. Which is super odd for a, for a role-playing game to throw out two-thirds of the lore. Yeah. Right out the door. Yep. Like, you could have explained the entire, like... I'll skip. I'll, I'll we'll continue. It's fine, it's fine. It's fine. I'll come back to some of my thoughts later cuz cuz I feel like we need to move into character creation cuz I think it helps address even more of this. Right. So, uh so you get into character creation. It is very close to 5th edition D&D mm-hmm. um, with with a couple notable exceptions. Exceptionally streamed down. Streamlined. Um, so first off, there's no races. You're everybody's human. That's um, right. Humanity Every... is a very important part of the story. There are no other things other than humans or gods, essentially. Um, and you, they don't let you play as a god. Sorry so... for you got people who wanted to play as a mushroom person. Can't do it. Ah, darn it. Um, there are no languages. Uh, everyone who speaks just speaks the same language. They they can all be understood. Um, that's fine. There's, there's... Mm. Nobody speaks a different language in, in you know, uh, in, in, in the games. I, I get it. I understand. Yeah. It's fine. Um, there's no alignment. Mm-mm. Um, and this one, I think they did get absolutely right. Like morality is so subjective and gray and who's the good guys, who's the bad guys. We kind of talked about that earlier. Yeah. Can't be put in nine neat boxes, you know, but I feel like they missed out on the sanity aspect of it over the loss of self, the humanity of it. No, they didn't. They hit it in two other places. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Uh, but they just didn't do it during character creation. That's true. That is um, true. They that do. True. They do talk a little bit about thinking what your character's origin story is, and they do address quite a bit that, like, when you when you are cursed, you don't remember much of your past. Yeah. And thinking about your memory and your background and stuff like that, there are 
aspects in there were like if you can if you can focus on your memory or your drive or your origin, you know, sort of thing, you can get advantage on certain roles. Right. Um. So there is, uh, to their credit, there is a little bit of that. Okay. Um. In there. So okay, do we have? You said that these backgrounds are in there. Uh. So we don't have backgrounds in the traditional sense right. of fifth edition backgrounds. What we do have is origins. Right. And there are only four of them. There's brute, fencer, jack of all trades, and caster. And this is essentially the base template. These are about the closest thing to a race as you're going to get in here. Um, these will actually dictate your base stats to you. Mm-hmm. You don't roll or choose your own stats. You just have them assigned from your origin. Um, origins not only give you your base stats, but they also give you your position dice. Position mm. is the system that takes over for hit points in this game. Um, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Yep. Uh, and they also, and this is a cool thing here, I think. And I, sure. I think they got this from 4th edition D&D. Sure. I'm not sure. Maybe somebody in the live chat can fill me in. Um, but uh, at 50%, both you and your enemies become bloodied. And your origin will provide an effect uh, that will kick in when you are bloodied. Okay. Um, and there's a couple little bonuses, basically. And if you ever get healed above 50%, those bonuses go away and they right. come back when... I mean, it's it feels similar to some of the like seventh C rules, where as you take more uh, critical hits and and your your dramatic wounds, you you become more feisty, if you will. Yes, and the world yes. gets more dramatic. Yes, yes. Um, so your background then uh, gets layered on top with a uh, uh, with a class. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are all bespoke classes here, but they're all pretty much reskins of existing D and D classes. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have any of these subclasses like D and D does. Like you don't hit third level and choose which way you want to branch. Right, right. It's just you're you're in a, you're a straight thief, you're assassin. Yeah, and they all mirror the ones in Dark Souls three. Yeah, all the starting classes in Dark Souls three. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, notably, the game doesn't allow multi-classing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are only three classes that get casting as a class feature, mm-hmm. and that is the cleric, the pyromancer, and the sorcerer. Um, now, in the, in the video games mm-hmm. uh, that they are tr- trying so hard to emulate, mm-hmm. uh, your starting class doesn't dictate anything Mm-mm. other than, like, your starting stats and equipment. Right. You can start off as a knight to get that base of strength mm-hmm. and then take a hard left turn into leveling up your intelligence and become a full caster. Yeah. But because you have that early investment in strength, you have the ability to use several swords and stuff like that, so you're not relying 100% on spells until you can get them later in the game. Right. And when you pick up the Moonlight Greatsword a little bit later, it's an int weapon. It works great for you. Yep, you know exactly. None of that is present in this game because you're not, you're not able to multi-class into another spellcasting class, mm-hmm. and spellcasting is a class ability for these three classes. Right. So if you're a knight, you're a knight. You're right. never going to be a sorcerer knight. Exactly. I think another thing that it it does mimic from the video game is some of the equipment slotting. The way that you you are attired. Yes. Because again, you you're not going to have like a lot of stuff. Mhm. Um it, they very streamline that aspect of it. I I didn't mind from, this so from much. From D&D. Yeah. I didn't mind this so much. It streamlines encumbrance quite a bit. Exactly. That's what I was kind of saying. Um, in, in that, you know, larger items take up more of your slots, and you just got 15 slots. It's okay. all basically based off the strength requirements of the of the item. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it, it I think it just simplifies it rather than keeping track of pounds and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So then you have your advancement, right? <sighs> And advancement so like, was really where it started to lose me. So advancement in D and D we know of as experience, right? 
you kill something, you get experience. You do something cool, you get experience. You finish you you finish a quest, you get experience, mm -hmm. right? Um, in the past, it was money. Like that's how you would your yep. gold was you know way back in the day the OSR style and the the new the new hip fashion is milestone XP where you don't even get XP you just when it's appropriate your storyteller tells you you've leveled and you get changes yeah you know you you alter and and life has is altered around you in this it kind of feels like it goes back to money in the form of souls it does yeah um, in the video games your souls act as Kind of a combination experience points and currency. Yes. Um, you will purchase things from vendors with souls, but souls are also the things with which you will spend to level up your stats. Right. So it's both currency and raising your own stuff, be, you know, gaining uh, and, levels. And so they've they've kind of done the same thing in this game, um, which I kind of don't like. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, it is how the video game works, but I think it works very good in a video game environment. Especially when you're soloing. When you're soloing, yeah. Um, but, like, I very much don't like experience points, especially experience points based around killing enemies, because, uh, you know, I, I say it all the time, games teach you how they want you to play them. And when you base all of your advancement around killing things, that tells you the only important thing this game values is killing things. And I'm going to put this here as, a, like, a pin mm -hmm. to remind us about this. Those can be lost. Yep. So, like, if in D&D &D you were out and your your party gets effectively wiped, not even, if your cleric is the last one standing and didn't have enough health but drags you guys all out of the space to heal you up, all of your loot money is all sitting where that guy was. Mm -hmm. In this case, it just disappeared. It just disappears, yeah. All the money falls out of your pocket and falls out of the world. Mm-hmm. That's painful. That's painful. Especially when you have to buy your levels. Yeah. Yes. With money. Yes. Now, you can bank your souls when you're at a bonfire. As I said, um, I'm putting kind a... of a pin in this, but it's a discussion yeah. point that needs to kind of be addressed during death a uh, little bit more. So, But, yeah, it literally turns the game into in, in, into a grind of kill things for XP. Which is not what a role-playing game should be. Exactly. That, that is a board game. That is... It, precisely that's a persistent board game which now, there are now <laughs> worth noting mm -hmm. like we said earlier steamforge yeah. games owns the rights to the dark souls board game and so you'll find that several places through here these game mechanics play out very much like that that makes it very clear that steamforge games is a board game company not a role-playing game company yeah um so we get into like the core of the mechanics here um and uh the the, the big the big change that you're going to notice um, from 5th uh, edition D&D is position. And I mentioned this earlier. This replaces HP. Um, it kind of acts as your HP, your stamina, your magic, all kind of combined into one big stat. Um, now, you start with a base uh, value of your position based on your origin, mm -hmm. not on your class. Yep. Um, and each level... I. And I, I say I think mm -hmm. because it's contradicted in two different places in the in the book that you only gain your constitution modifier when you level up. Like you don't roll a new die and add your constitution like you normally do. It's just your con modifier. Right. And that's for your for your basically your passive uh you know, your your walk around yeah. stance. That so that's you your that's your base your, your, position. Your position, yeah. sorry. Um so when you enter combat 
uh, you roll your level worth of position dice. Um, so if you are a brute origin, you'll have a D10 position die. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are a level three person with the brute origin, mm-hmm. you will have you roll three D10. And that's I, it. I did look that one yeah. up because I, we talked yeah. about that earlier. Um, and you add that in temporary position at the beginning on, of the fight. On, gonna... to- on top of your whatever you currently have. Yes, yes. Uh, and so this is basically like an adrenaline boost. You know, right. What this does for you is this gives you a little extra spending cash, essentially. Mm-hmm. Because position doesn't just act as um, hit points for you. It is also a currency you can spend to do various things. During your turn. During yeah. your turn. Um, so you can add uh, one on a one-to-one basis. There's no limit to how much position you can spend this way to modify the result of a die roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you – they the example they give, if, like, you need to hit somebody with AC 20 and you rolled a 1, you may spend 19 position to hit them. Yeah. You're spending 19 of your hit points. Yeah, or you, mana pool or whatever you want to call it. But you can hit them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, if you're willing to make the spend. Um, you can add movement speed mm-hmm. up to essentially doubling your movement speed. So yep. you can you can add another 30 on top of the 30 you've got. Mm-hmm. Um, you can add damage, but you must spend 5 mm-hmm. minimum. Um, some of your weapon and armor abilities will require you to spend position mm-hmm. to activate them. Um, activating most spells requires at least one position point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's kind of a rule of cool sort of thing in there where position can do uh, anything else that the story to, that, that that people think is neat and, and you and the storyteller can agree upon. Yeah, like I'm like I'm going to you know spend position to sidestep, you know, and 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 dodge this and let the guy and and, and help him off the cliff face. Okay, if if it fits, sure. Why I not? Parry him, and I pull out my plus ten chaos dagger and repost. There you go. And one shot him. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Things like that. Oh, we'll get to that too. Uh. So, keeping in mind that it's kind of a currency. Um. I know you and I, when we were talking earlier about this, we were a little baffled by the uh how high a lot of the difficulty classes of like saving throws and stuff of that were. Yeah. I think the intent. Is that you? You're forced to spend position to ensure success on those. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I feel you, but at the same time, no, no, I'm with you. The math I is. I not... don't like it either, but but there's a lot of the, like the difficulty classes for like facing monsters and whatnot are like DC 18, DC 19, you know. Yeah. And I think you know the game is trying to essentially force you into a position where, yeah, these these things are really brutal. You're going to have to spend position for them. You know? Right, right. Um, also, the chances of you having a con modifier that is exceptionally high mm-hmm. are pretty much zero. Your max con modifier that you can get in the entirety of the game is two, right? Four. Four. Technically, oh well, okay. In, in yeah, four if you level up to eighteen. Correct. If, yeah. if you if you are a fully leveled up character in this game, the biggest badass you can get, you still only have a plus four to your con modifier. Yep. Yep. So Which you... is ridiculous to me. Like that's that's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. You're not getting a lot of position. Um. All total, I think it's mostly very much based on like. They really depend on you rolling well on that initial um, temporary position thing when you start combat. Which, again, is a problem in itself, which we'll get to later. We'll, I'm not we'll, going to go yep. into the mechanic. I'm not going to go into the math of this because 
there is a teardown on math here that other people do way better than I do. We will we will get to that later. Uh, so bonfires in Estus is a thing. Yes. Uh, bonfires in the game, if you're not familiar, are essentially your save points, kind of. Yeah. Um, they're not explicitly save points, um, but like they're resting places. Mm-hmm. When you rest at a bonfire, all of your stuff, you get fully healed. Your Estus flask, which is essentially a refillable, reusable healing potion, um, gets refilled. Uh, but at the same time, all of your enemies respawn. The whole world resets when you rest at a bonfire. Right. So things behind you, things in front of you, everything. And when you die, that last bonfire is essentially your checkpoint. You always get back up from the last bonfire you rest at in the video game. Right. Now, there's some weird stuff there in the sense that, say you and a friend are going through a dungeon... You know, you and your party. I'm following. We 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 make our way and eventually find our way, be it randomly, to uh, a, a different way into the boss chamber, mm-hmm. right? Because we wanted to avoid something else. So we, we, we do some crafty looking and figure our way around it, right? Sure. With some good rolls. When we die fighting that boss because we're ill-prepared, we may not go to the last bonfire we were at because the text says the nearest it's either the last or the nearest i'm still not sure which because the because the text specifies both right and so now we're someplace we've never been yeah don't know how to get the boss from here it just feels weird like the mechanics are very odd in the way and lastly like yes estes flasks are a thing Mm -hmm. they're a one shot, get stuff back. Not one shot. Well, nope. You you start with three, and then at higher levels you can get up to five. Right, but they're effectively personal healing potions. Mm-hmm. I can't give you Estus. Right. I can heal. Well, I can grant you position if I'm a caster in a very specific way. Basically, if you're a cleric, there's no healing pyromancies and there's no healing sorceries. It's all cleric. Right. So, like one class can somewhat assist someone else but is spending their own position to do so yep it now here's the thing too and i don't think we i think i forgot to mention this about position is that you can only spend it once per turn yes so if i cast i can't modify the result of the cast correct if i cast i can't also move quickly so Let's keep going, because this is all adding up to something very significant. Death itself is where we were talking about, where you respawn at the nearest last bonfire, whatever the actual rule is. You lose all of the souls that you are holding, not the ones you've banked, but the ones you're holding. Yep. Which could be quite a bit, especially because you may not be banking, you may not have reached another bonfire. You may not have reached another bonfire, yep. Okay. And... If you don't make a DC save after death... That's like a Wisdom 18 check, and I'm not sure you can spend position out of combat, so... You're dead. Yeah, on, okay. on you don't have a... You don't have position to spend. Yeah. How do you spend position when you're dead? On a roll of a 1, you make a new, make character. A new character because you just go hollow. Uh, there are, what did you say, six, six more uh, outcomes that will result in permanent stat loss. Which effectively... Makes you lose levels. Yeah. Because the only way to get stats up are through leveling. I, I I was looking at that and I was like, is this like Dark Souls 2? 
where they knocked you for five percent of your health every time you died. Yeah. And it was like you 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 died because you couldn't keep up with the challenge. So now you have to do the challenge again, but you have to do it with less resources. Right. In the end, you just make a new character. That's not a recipe for success, yeah. Right, right. So all of this feels like death is a punishment, not a learning experience. Because there's not many things in that list that are a benefit, yeah. or even a role-playing benefit. Oh, there are, there are a few benefits in there. Like, you can become it's, immune to poison and stuff like that. Not like, many. It's, there's, there's a handful. There's a right. handful. It's not, but when, it's not all doom and gloom, but the fact is that there are outcomes where you just die and you just lose stats. Right. When more than 40%, well, more than 30% of the options are literally knocking you down. Yeah. Yep. And setting you back. Maybe further than you think, because you die a lot at early levels. Mm-hmm. Right? So, again, back to the chances that your stats are above a certain point to handle, you know, saving throws and things are so ridiculous, the, the thoughts behind those. Yeah, agreed. The game is not teaching the right direction. And keep in mind, you lose all of your souls when you die. Now, in the video game, those are dropped on the ground in the form of a bloodstain. You can you have one chance to go and retrieve them. If you die before you pick it back up, your bloodstain disappears. And you lose them then. This game does not give you that option. Does not give you that option. There's so, no... you're, so you die, your souls are just gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, that said, magic system. Moving to magic. Now, magic is, magic's interesting. It works very much like it does in the video game. Um, I don't know that I dislike it. Um, it, it, it ter- like, look, what, in comparison, because Rob's making stinky face at me right now. Um, I don't know that I dislike it more than anything else in this game. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's um, fair. It, it didn't offend me. No, it game. did. It did offend you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Some some parts of the spells offended me. Because it's The co- magic system didn't. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Because it's copy pasta in so many ways. A, a little bit. Um so you basically But it doesn't have to be. Magic is uh very small scale in uh in Dark Souls. Um it's based on attunement slots. You'll have a handful of attunement slots, like two or three. Yeah. Basically. Um Small spells only take one attunement slot, but some of your larger ones may take two or all three. Um, dedicated casters may have a lot of attunement slots on them, uh, but maybe as many as like five or six. Um, hey, no, that's a lot in Dark Souls, honestly. I, I understand um, that, but... Each spell that you attune um, has a number of limited casts to it. So like if I attune, you know, uh, uh, Lightning Spear, uh, I may be able to cast it like four times. Um, but if I, and I can, you can attune this with the same spell twice, so I can, like, spend two of my attunement slots on Lightning Spear, and I will get eight casts instead, right? Follow? Mm -hmm. Um, oftentimes casting them requires position. Not all of them do, though. Um, most, though, what I, what I've been noticing, like, a lot of the damaging spells and stuff of that require not only a spell attack roll, but then afford the target a dexterity saving throw to take half damage. So you've hit it, but it still gets a chance to cut your damage down. Yeah, in 5th in edition D&D, it's often either, it's one or the other, a saving throw or an attack. Right. You know? Right, like, did you make a dex save? Then you take half. Otherwise, you just get hit. You just get hit, yep. Yeah. Um. Not not the case in, I would say, most of these spells. Mm-hmm. Um, 
some of them that are kind of like there's a couple different reflavorings of magic missile like uh homing soul mass crystal homing soul mass um and dark bead of all things uh if you're familiar with the <laughs> with the game you'd know that that's a weird one to call a magic missile spell um where they just hit but it's like reflavored magic missiles so it's like okay but there's seven of them and they all do a d6 plus one because this is a really big spell but it's essentially just magic missile on a crack right um Dark beat. See, and this is where, like, I I think a lot of these were missed opportunities. Like you said, a lot mm-hmm. of copy pasta, where they just they copied stuff from D and D and placed it where they thought they should fit, rather than trying to mimic what the spell from the video game actually does. Or, and I hate to use the word balance, but to to even look to see if it fits within the crafting of the universe. Mm-hmm. Like, if I am going against something that has X amount of position and does X amount of things, and my chances are still slim, is this even effective in any way? Yeah. Is it meaningful that anybody would even use this? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, try to make a faith build in Dark Souls 3 and let me know how you feel about that. Uh, yeah. But anyways, um, but like, yeah, like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into Dark Bead because uh, anybody who knows Dark Souls 1. Sure knows that Dark Bead is the shotgun of death. Sure. Okay, especially if you PvP'd it all in Dark Souls 1, you know that you get that spell, you roll right up on an enemy, you parry them or something like that to stun them, or you you catch them off uh, off their footing, and you Dark Bead them right in the face. You just hammer them with this thing. You just hit them once. Oh. Because it fires like eight projectiles in a cone spread. Ah, so because you're so close, you're doing all of it at it's point blank range. It's a shotgun of death. Gotcha. Yes, it's just a magic shotgun. Gotcha. So why didn't they make it a cone spell? Which is totally available. Which is 100% available. Reflavor cone of cold into dark bead. Don't reflavor magic missile into dark bead. But again, you, you'd have to know the spell and have used the spell. Yeah. Or yeah. watched a YouTube You'd have to have done more than scan a Wikipedia page. Back to this is barely a C. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, they read the Cliff's notes and decided to make a game off of it. Um, soul Spear, Crystal Soul Spear, should be line attacks. They're they penetrate like you can you can hit multiple targets if they're in a line. Right. With them, why isn't that a line attack? It's literally again right there in the rules of the game. And and I feel like. A lot of the game mechanics that I read through. Now, granted, I didn't get into the detail level you had, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't feel like position was a thing. Being flanking, a distance. Oh, physical position, not the position mechanic. Minis on a board kind of thing. Yeah, distance is reflected. Mm -hmm. Jumping, flying, you know, things like that. Speed, double speed. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like they made position important. Yeah. Like, flanking is definitely a thing. Surprise is definitely a thing. Mm -hmm. Like, all of those are important things, but it doesn't feel like there's any weight to that. Yeah. Or any consideration in many ways. They don't even talk about models at all. Yeah, I would say say that's that's a pretty accurate statement. And when they refer to creatures... They make reference to uh, normal, large, and that's about it. Yeah. There's no colossal, which this game definitely has colossal. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> like, these are standard terms for 5th edition, and an understood term, 
But you have to, but in a system, which is what this is, it's not saying this is a supplement to D&D. Yeah. You must know the D&D rules because they will help you. They can't, they never address that at all in this. So if you don't know basic D&D and you step into this, am I supposed to be using a game map to fight on? Can I do this through theater of the mind's eye? How? Mm-hmm. Like, what's significant? What's not? Yeah, yeah. Feels like a lot of a lot of kind of missed opportunities there. Which takes us to running, running the, the game. game. So there was a quote in the book, and I wanted to believe this quote. I oh, really yeah. did. I read this because it was the opening of the DM section, and it says, and I quote: "Dark Souls is about difficulty, about being challenged. This makes it a bit more difficult for you, the DM." You need to constantly be placing the players under pressure, hitting them with combat encounters, puzzles, and fragments of lore that they scarcely understand. But at the same time, it's vital to remember what this one fact. You are not the enemy. And then I continued going through and realized that you are the enemy. You are the enemy. There is nothing cooperative or collaborative. Cre- collaborative or creative. Yep. After that point in the book. Yep. And my rage went through the roof. Yep. I had a really hard time reading the DM section. You are not the enemy. Yes, you are. But thanks for saying it. It's it's trying to tell you that it's not about wanting the characters to lose. And yet that is legitimately how the encounters are meant to play out. Mm-hmm. So, the way they recommend crafting of an encounter is literally going through random tables. You roll a d10 and pick from, you know, and pick your adventure, your names, your enemies, your locations, what loot they will find. Yep. And that's that's how you make an adventure. Mm-hmm. And it should last anywhere between six but no more than 15 sessions. Yeah. They don't tell you how a session should run. They don't give an idea of how much combat you should have in that session. And it's weird, too, because they, they specify that number. And then somewhere else in the book, I remember them reading them like, you know, oh, yeah, you know, you decide if you want this to be just like a one shot or, you know, just like play it for a couple sessions or if you want this campaign to go on for months or even years. Right. But your adventures, you set the difficulty by number of bonfires that they come across. You know, four is pretty easy. Two or three, more difficult, but one is hard mode. To what? To (laughs) To what? Five encounters? Five fights? Right. There's no CR. There's no no point of reference to that. Yeah. Right? And the other thing is they say, don't give your players maps. There are no maps in this game. There were never any maps in the game. In Dark Souls, players had to figure that out as they went through the game, and that's what we've stuck with. So the only map you have of any kind of reference to any of the location they scroll is effectively a tapestry picture with names on it that is, I mean, it's a beautiful image, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't really tell you anything about the landscape or what's there. It doesn't help you at all, yeah. It doesn't give you any, like, why are these locations here in this pathway? Is is there a build-up point to this? Mm -hmm. You don't know. No. You have no idea. It's just random stuff. It's just stuff. 
So he knocks in the box in the live chat says, Medieval Mad Libs. Yes, 100%. The running of the game, they want you to run it like medieval, like an adventure Mad yes, Libs. Medieval Mad Libs. You were 100% correct about that. Um, and, and the funny thing is, too, is like they even kind of justify that. Like they, they actually outright address the. Uh, like, so they go through several sections and they're like themes, and it's like. Uh, okay, yeah, the themes in Dark Souls is, you know, there's always this, this like, spooky imagery and stuff like that that's very important for setting the appropriate mood. But, you know, if your players don't pay attention to it, that's okay. Everything's dark in Dark Souls anyways, so they probably won't see it. Anyway, um, here's how many encounters you should put in here. And that's their section on themes. Yeah. We put more energy in the intro of this podcast... Yeah talking about the themes of Dark Souls than they put into their one paragraph that they dedicated to talking about how, yeah, the architecture is kind of spooky. And here's a 1D10. Here's 10 random things you can you can, you can can throw in there for spooky c- uh, uh, scenery. Yeah. Is it moldy? <gasps> oh, is it crumbled? Is it covered in gargoyles? Yeah. Those are the options they give you. Like, literally. I'm, I'm literally, you know. Um... And that's that's their section on themes. And they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. They, they won't see it anyways. It's cool. Um, encounters. Uh, it's just kind of a bunch of random stuff. Yeah. They're like, uh, yeah, uh, you know, Dark Souls is very, you know, difficult to understand and disjointed and nothing makes any sense. So it's okay if your adventure doesn't either. Yeah. Like you might go through a graveyard and then into a cathedral. But uh in some places, you may find different encounters. Just They're just reskinned this monster. Mm-hmm. It's just a different name on this monster. Okay. Doesn't tell me anything about, like, how to build the encounters. It's basically The reason just... why you're there? Right. Uh, and again, like, uh, people who should know the lore... I found another, like, huge thing that just boiled my blood in the mm-hmm. encounter section... It's so they're talking about like in- making encounters fit with the environment you're putting them in. Yeah, and it's like visit the Cathedral of the Deep, for example, and you'll be confronting Pontiff Knights, not Silver Knights. Well, no, you won't be confronting Pontiff Knights because you're at the Cathedral of the Deep. You'll be confronting Cathedral, cathedral Knights. Knights at the Cathedral because Pontiff Sullivan doesn't live in the Cathedral of the Deep. He lives in Irithil, where you find the Pontiff Knights. You know, it's like, come on, guys. You only focused on one third of the lore and you even got that wrong. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, it's like I'm saying, going... oh, yeah, like like Lothlorien, where Smog lives. It's like, right. oh, it's like that big of an error for me, you yeah. know? No, I I get it. I get it. Like, there, there's there's so many references we could make. And like, But I'm only, I'm going to burn for the people who are over the age of, oh, let's be, let's. I'm not even going to say over the age. Anybody who is aware of the Star Wars christmas special it had more lore that was accurate than this god (laughs) that makes me angry and smile at the same time i'm not sure that's working but bosses bosses are important they're a key thing for the lore of the game there's a reason why you're going there why they're there right either you're going there to handle a situation Mm -hmm. because you need something or they're in your way to a solution. Yeah. I have to go ring this bell, and you're the standing in front of it. Right? Because that's to, that gets me to the next thing I need to do. Yep. Why are you there? Not just to stop me from ringing that bell. You have a purpose mm-hmm. as an NPC. 
and it feels like that stuff was just like two sentences and swept under the rug. Yeah. It's terrifying. Everybody knows Dark Souls all about the bosses. Anyway, here's bosses. Next. Roll like... on this 1d10 table and pick one. Yeah. And it's basically just a list of the of the Dark Souls three bosses. Yeah. You know. And one will be there. Then they get into NPCs. And they're mm-hmm. like, well, Dark Souls, the video game, uh, NPCs basically just kind of sit there. Unlike most tabletop RPGs. Uh, but they don't have to just sit there in your game, it says. You can make them, like, walk around and talk and stuff. Great advice. Thanks, Dark Souls. Yeah, yeah. Um, here's a list of 1D10 random spoopy names. Here's some crazy abnormal behavior they can have, like biting their nails or grinning or being sleepy. Shrugging, crying. Seriously. Yeah. These, it's a, everything is a 1D10. Yep. There's not even like a hundred things in the list. Yeah. There's not even like 20 things. It's 10 items in a list. Yeah. That's not randomization. You're going to get repeats real damn quick if you play this more than once. Um, They can, your, your NPCs in your Dark Souls game can give you random shit from their pockets for no reason. NPCs in the Dark Souls games usually give you, you know, gifts that seem, seem strange and mysterious. Okay, so you think your NPCs in a in a tabletop game where you can explore endless possibilities should be random stuff that they picked out of their pockets? Yeah, no okay. story, no connection. Oh, they can also give you a side quest. Oh, a side quest. Yeah, you know, not because they're actually like realized figures with living, dying world. Just you know, they're just quest givers. Just right, and give that you quest. And giggle. Just go back to the quest one d ten log, like. Go to this painting, or ring this bell, or go defeat this dude. Yeah, no real reason why. Right. I hate him. I want you to go and find this, find this bell and ring it. Cool. Why? I hadn't thought that far ahead. I'm Here. crazy. Ha 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 Here's some random flowers from my pocket. Ha 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 ha. That's that's how this game instructs you on its one page with random tables to make your NPCs. Anyway, good luck. Before we get too many throbbing veins in our head, let's step into summoning. Because that's not that important in the games. Right. The one page that talks about summonings. Um, summonings. Uh, now, here's here's the thing. Folks, friends, fellow listeners. If you have not played the Dark Souls game, I will tell you what summoning is. It is the multiplayer mechanic. Mm-hmm. You see... The world is very fractured. Time and space doesn't really mean much anymore. And our friend Solaire of Astora, in the very first game, explains to us that, yeah, we're here talking face-to-face now, but when you leave, your reality may diverge sharply from my own. We may not meet again. So take this stone. This stone will allow you to make a sign that I will be able to see anywhere. And I can pull you to my world. Or I can make a sign and you can pull me to your world. And we can engage in jolly cooperation. Do you understand how that works? Simple. Cool. So the summoning section of this game says, these are optional rules. Everybody knows what summoning is. It's wacky and random. Doesn't give you any of the lore I just did. None of it. Just says everyone knows what summoning is. So here are four different types of people that you can summon. A random NPC. Uh, basically a random NPC that will heal you. 
mm-hmm. a random NPC that will fight for you, a random NPC that will fight against you, mm-hmm. or a random NPC that will literally fight everything within 10 feet of it, regardless of what that is. It will always fight the closest thing to it. Because it's crazy! Again, all for no good reason. Yep. No no specialty, no, no, no marks on the ground. This is just something you can do. I want to go fight a dude. I'm going to put down this type of mark, and a dude will show up and fight me. Okay. Mm-hmm. No reason for it. No suggested nope. story applications. No lore behind it. Just, yeah, summoning is crazy, and we all know what it is. Here you go. Here's some random stuff. Next. So moving right along, because obviously that literally is one page, yep. and the text isn't even that thick on it. They start talking about the world. The world as a whole. Now, I'm, I am going to scroll back because I have to go look at this. Because if I remember correctly, I wrote it in here. Uh, I think I deleted it because it was just uh, taking up space. Oh, okay. Uh, because I, I didn't feel like we deserved to go through it one by one. Okay. So, but it is essentially every major zone in Dark Souls 3. Yes. And it's, I will say this. It is no more than two pages Per zone. zone. And those two pages are not highly compressed text. It is a half a page image. Mm -hmm. And the other half of the page is filled with a random chart for what you might find there. Yep. A quarter or an eighth of the page has items that'll randomly be available off of things there. Yep. And then the other page might have... Up oh. to two paragraphs of text describing the lore of the zone. I I found a little bit or of the zone itself. Up yes, to two. Up to two. Yes. Up to two. Yeah. Paragraphs on the high end. Yeah. Uh, and then a list of NPCs. And I feel like those two paragraphs they invested in. They found a writer to write something decent for those two paragraphs. But even that is pales into what they could have written. Like, it is poetic in some cases. Sure. It is deep. Somebody definitely pulled their lexicon out and started changing letters and, and, and words to make it sound really rich and and old English. What like is this? Congress is spelled with an F? What is that, Congress? Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> you know they, they let Edgar Allan Poe write, like, five lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then immediately went right back to, so there's this dude. This is his name. He's a really noble guy and was cool back in the day. And if you fight him, he uses these stats and will get angry if you talk to this other NPC. Next, there's this other NPC who is nice and will offer you these things. Uh, They're wearing this armor and uh, will just sit there and let you kill them if you attack them. Next NPC is, and you're like, who are these people? What, but what was interesting was, like, when we got to Firelink Shrine, mm-hmm. which is a known location. Yeah. is a very important location. Yeah. Arguably the most recognizable. Mm-hmm. I started reading through it because you taught me quite a bit about it. Yep. And you learn just by being there a little bit about it. Go Returning to it again and again, you witness its changes. Yep. And you you start asking questions about, what happened here? What is this? Why is this guy no longer here? Mm-hmm. Why is this guy now here? It changes. It moves around. And they literally summed it up in two paragraphs, which had none of that. Yep. 
and then spoke about the types of people that were there in kind of a generality that didn't make any sense. Yeah. And had no reference in my real headspace to the game. You could make heads and tails of it. But, like, there are important characters who are there that lead on from that moment. I mean, honestly, like, you can talk about just about anybody at Firelink Shrine, which is the main hub of the yes, game. Yes, but it it's, doesn't it's even address base, that. Essentially. But I think the real crime, like, if you can talk about Firelink Shrine and you don't talk about what a firekeeper is... They did address a firekeeper. They said she's a firekeeper. They didn't describe what a firekeeper is. Correct. Why a firekeeper is important. Mm-hmm. Why, like, one of the other NPCs that they listed in a different section wants to become a firekeeper. Nope. You know? And I... they never referenced... They referenced the person. They referenced that their fervorance to attending it, but not why. Yeah. What is what is tending to the to the bonfire mean? Right. Why is Firelink's bonfire important? Yep. You know, et cetera, et cetera. None of that. It's just... And then in some cases they were like, oh, and this person, uh, just use the stats of this monster if they fight them. Yeah. 90... If they fight them. 80% of them are Pontiff Knights. The other 20% are Alon Knights. There you go. Um... And yeah, man, if you're gonna if you're gonna dip into Dark Souls two, you grabbed Elon Knights of all people. Man. And and by the way, none of this is addressing the fact that when the term knight is used, that, that's not defined. That's not defined. It's not saying this used to be a person mm-hmm. just like you. Yeah. It's still kind of addressing them as a monster, effectively. Yeah. Something pointless. Yeah. Like you're the only thing that matters. And honestly, I think the NPCs are treated that way. Like, when they, when they talk about making your own NPCs, they're like, oh, God, yeah, yeah, you know, they'll just do random stuff. Uh, your players may want to kill them or whatever, you know, so just have that on hand. Yeah. Um, and then, then they've got a whole section of monsters and antagonists. And I, I, I gotta say, they, it's, again, I mean, very, very visually stunning. Yeah. Uh, For the, the most part. The, I the wouldn't even say it's the, very. The images that they used and whatnot. Um, I like them. I felt that it was, it's... <laughs> There are many, many places where you could go to see monster manuals or ways that NPCs and antagonists are listed. And traditionally what you will see is an image within the body of the text Mm -hmm. in a very clean format. That was only done on a few of the pages because they wanted the art in some cases to be much larger on the page. So you'd actually have to go to the next page to see the art. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Is that art part of this monster, or is that part of this monster? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh, Knox in the Box asks, uh, he, he wanted a little more information on the on the firekeepers. Oh, okay. do, do they maintain the bonfires? Uh, y- yes. Um, but more than that, they're, like, spiritually linked with the bonfires. Yeah. Um, in that, like, if you kill the firekeeper, the bonfire goes away. Yeah. Like, a firekeeper's soul is the bonfire. Right. Um, in a, in a sense, and uh, it's a holy rite essentially. Um, especially in the early days, in uh, Dark Souls One, firekeepers were very important. Yeah. Um, where uh, like they would go on holy pilgrimages essentially to to cleanse themselves and become worthy of being a firekeeper. And and there was something to be said for maintaining the keeper. Oh yeah, knights maintaining the keeper, and or in some cases not. Yeah. 
seeing that they die. Yep. Yep. That's, well, that's, a, that's a whole plot. Or I, I shouldn't use the term die. I should <clears throat> use the term demise. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's... And it's unaddressed. Completely. Yep. Unaddressed. So. Yep. You could have talked about Petrus uh, and... and uh, uh, Arena? I can't remember where her name is from Dark Souls 1. But anyways, I digress. So, all of this wraps for me with the concept that the front cover says 5E compatible. Okay. That hurts me to the core. When I look at D&D, it is a tactical RPG loosely based on balance. And I use the word loosely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It does. It tries to do something there with CR ratings and various other points of reference so that I am a heroic hero gaining levels to accomplish something. Right? Mm-hmm. I am going to become something more, and sometimes I may have to run away, and sometimes I may have to do other things to get to get out of those situations. That's D&D. But for the most part, the game teaches me that I'm heroic, and what I cannot kill, I need to keep consuming hit, getting hit point recovery. And I can do that through any number of means. The thing that can cause my demise in the game, I can easily recover, which that's what makes me a hero. Mm -hmm. And this game literally says, no, I'm removing that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make your hit points basically everything to your money, your life, your mana pool. All of that is the same thing so that everything feels like it's a climb and a slog and a fight up a hill that you are going to lose at because of a bad roll. D&D was already, D&D combat was already a battle of attrition and yeah. this added an extra layer of attrition to it. Yeah. So now you are guaranteed more often to lose. Mm-hmm. The fights that you're going in on, and if you look through the monsters group, which we did, yeah. the chances are that even low-rated monsters are going to wipe the floor with you early in levels. You don't get the levels. It's not like you gain some XP or or gain anything from that. In fact, you might lose. Even at first level, you could make a bad roll on your death and lose health, or lose uh, strength, mm-hmm. which is going to make you worse for your next fight. And you don't have any souls. You didn't get any. Yep. So... What are you going to do? Run back and cash in and run out and run back and cash in and run out and run back? Are you going to grind in D&D? Yeah. How many storytellers are going to want to rerun the same encounter? Yeah. Hey, run those four boars for me again so I can kill them. I need more souls. Hey, run it one more time for me so I can kill them. Yeah, I'm going to go back to the shrine. I'm going to do it again. Yep. It's it. You said it was right there, so I'm just going to keep doing this. I'm just going to grind. Or, worse yet, and this is the part that always gets me, is this game does not address the party ever. Mm-hmm. Nowhere in here it talks about playing with your friends. It talks about cooperatively helping at a challenge. But after that, no. It doesn't talk about turns. It doesn't talk about s- supportive classes. It doesn't talk about Anything that would bring up the idea of that two players have a reason to do things together Mm -hmm. in this world, which I think is something that they really could have changed. 
Yeah. Like, Dark Souls doesn't talk about cooperation because it is a fractured world where everyone lives in their own version of reality. Mm-hmm. They could have very easily adjusted this game to be a multiplayer game that is different. So here's the thing, and I'm, I'm actually going to say you're wrong about that. Because I referenced earlier Solaire of Astoria. Yeah. Okay? He um, is a member of a faction called the Warriors of Sunlight. Sure. There is a whole faction. There are multiple factions, actually. Right. And the Warriors of Sunlight come back. Like, they start off in Dark Souls 1. They come back in Dark Souls 3. Mm-hmm. Um, they are gold phantoms mm-hmm. um, that are specifically there to help others. You gain faction rank by helping others beat bosses. Sure. The whole reason they exist is cooperation and multiplayer and stuff like that. And you could have gotten into the lore of that. You could have gotten into banding together as Warriors of Sunlight. You could have gotten together as, you know, sure. talked about all the rich factions that are in there. Sure. You could have based quest if you want to get back like into Dark Souls 2, you can make a whole faction that are like Tower Guardians or something like that. Like there are multiple factions in multiple games that have goals Mm -hmm. you could have talked about any of that any of it not a single thing references group dynamic in any other way other than a light reference saying you can play with friends yep i dare say that this game almost teaches it to be a one storyteller one player game because no one's gonna want to sit there in a two-player game where literally the mechanic states if half of the party dies, everyone wipes. Everyone wipes. Yep. So the only way that you can play this game, according to the mechanics with multiple players, is having three people in your party. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it is a hard grind. And by the way, if one of you dies, you're literally just sitting around waiting. Yep. You Even if the fire was next to the fight that they're in, you cannot join that fight. There's no revivify, there's no healing nope. word, there's no nothing to get you back in. Once you are down, you are dead. Right. You are back at the bonfire at some point in the future. Yep. It's not even reference how long. There's no time. Because time is irrelevant mm-hmm. in this whole game. And it's like, oh my lord, there's so many pieces that you've broken and chiseled away from D&D to turn this into a grind factory. Just to emulate a video game. That it has a grind mechanic. That you missed all of the rich points that D&D and has generationally created to get to a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. I was um, I was talking to Sean. I've, I've, got, I've got two closing points here um, before, we, before we get into the questions. Uh, I was talking to Sean about this uh, the other night, and... Uh, I said, like, the the reason I'm running my own personal game in the world of Elder Scrolls is because I love the Elder Scrolls universe, but a video game is limiting. A video game, you can only do the things that the video game was pro- was programmed to do. Mm-hmm. And Elder Scrolls is a, is a very, you know, free, open, uh, role-playing experience where you can, you know, there's, there's hundreds of NPCs with thousands of lines of dialogue... And, you know, hours upon hours of that recorded with voice acting and such like that. And even then, it's still only a programmed experience. Someone once said you can, um, f- people think that freedom is choosing any road you want, but they don't realize that somebody built those roads. Yep. You know? Um, and for me, 
taking Elder Scrolls to a role-playing experience was solely because I wanted to be able to pull it off of its rails. Yeah. And truly allow you the freedom to explore the Elder Scrolls universe organically. Yeah. Without scripted dialogue, without scripted NPCs. Yeah. You know? And... I think if you're if you're if you're adapting a video game into a tabletop RPG and your goal is not to remove it from its rails but to religiously adhere to its rails mm-hmm. you have missed the entire point of a tabletop role playing game at all. Yeah. I I 100% agree with you. My second point um is that we talk about getting good. Yeah. The reason you the, the 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 gameplay loop of you know fight die try again get good actually works in dark souls is because like we discussed at the very beginning it's like a choreographed dance mm-hmm. okay that boss is always going to fight the same way always going to have the same triggers you know mm-hmm. when you try to drink your estus flask he always does the big overhand two hand slam you know you need to drink very far away from him or you need to fl- uh, to to drink in a way that that he's not going to be able to turn that on you and hit you. Right. Or you're going to get punished for it. Right. You know, you know every single time he raises his hands up, he's about to do that attack. Mm-hmm. And you need to dodge to the left because dodging to the right just gets you slammed. Right. Whatever. Okay? But you can learn these things. Mm-hmm. Okay? And when you get good, that means you are learning, that means you're adapting, and that means that you are um timing your roles better, exploiting mm-hmm. open op, uh, openings in their in their AI better and such like that, you can increase your skill. And eventually, you have choreographed your own dance depending on your own fighting style, your own skill set to beat that boss. You might limp through, you might one-shot him. Who knows. Right. But you have done the work to learn these things and choreograph that dance. You can't do that in a tabletop RPG. It's specifically this one. There is no choreographing mechanics. In the in the tabletop board game, there is. There is. Because and you it... can learn the order of the cards in their attack deck. But in this, the only way the the only skill I can bring into a fight is hoping that the storyteller's dice are bad and hoping that my dice are good. Because you can't even guarantee you're going to have enough position. Mm-hmm. Because it's a random roll at the beginning of the fight. Your your temporary position's random, but theirs isn't. And and like how much position I need to spend on like upping a die roll to make sure I hit, or make sure I hit mm-hmm. a saving throw, that's random too. Mm-hmm. If if the DC is nineteen and I roll a one, that's eighteen position I need to spend to make sure I say I, I save there, or I take whatever the effect is, which could be crippling, which could be killing. Yeah. Who knows? The 19 position might get me killed anyways. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and that is... I, I'm with you. That is why this is not Dark Souls. Yeah. Because you can't get good at random dice rolls. Nope. You can't. Fate will never get you good. I see we have a whole section here called Closing Thoughts. I uh, have a few things in here that we haven't hit. Okay. They're, they're, they're pieces that kind of wrap things up. For me, I think we agree this isn't Dark Souls. We can't learn. Those were my closing. My I just yeah. gave my closing thoughts, so I'd like to hear yours. My second is the mood isn't even a theme. It is just a mood that they put in this book. Spoopy. That's right. the mood. 
The setting is lost in snippets and a complete lack of anything tangible for the game. Yep. Right? They they would have been better off in sections taking direct quotes of the NPCs out of Dark Souls 3. And they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. A simple thing. Yeah. They didn't even do. That would have given it much more depth and clarity. No no quotes from any of the NPCs. Or, or even <sighs> item. Conniptions. Even item descriptions. Just steal them from the game. Yeah. You have the IP. Just do it. It's right there. If you want it to be esoteric, don't explain it any further than that. Just put it in there. Mm-hmm. Right? The NPCs, like you said, they have no feeling. There's no predictability. There's no reason for them to be there. Those knights are literally just placeholders in some cases. The name is just a placeholder. It's a this thing, really. But we're going to put this name on it. Pontiff Knights. Cathedral Knights. There's no difference between them. They're really all the same thing in the background. Yeah, they don't really explain, like, why the Pontiff Knights are Pontiff Knights. Who they are. Who, no. who the Pontiff... Like, I guess you could go and flip over to Pontiff Solvain, but, like, again, they don't, like, explain any of, you know... There's there's just no linking to the lore. They don't care. It's just like, oh, Pontiff Knights are a thing that exist. And yeah. they don't, you know... Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. There is no passion to continue in this game. Yes. In other games, there's a passion because there's hero- heroism. There's a drive and a hook that you can bring in from a storytelling aspect. There are... There are... Even in the video game, because of the get good mechanic that you can learn things, you can have the drive to effing want to win, mm-hmm. to just beat it, you know, and just just have that moment of hard victory where you're screaming ready to flip the table because you did it, right? But instead, you're just here slogging with your friends, and you might as well wish for a new character when one... when you know, one of your party members dies, the other two that are standing can't finish the fight, and they just look at you and say, Ed, just, we're going to lose the souls, just go. You're not going to be able to do this. Yeah. You yeah. Get, you guys don't have the position, so let's just stop this fight. We're going to start back off at the bonfire. We'll do the other two encounters and try this again. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine that in a D&D game? All right, so we head into the goblins. We're about ready to fight the goblin chieftain. Did he, did he just one-shot our tank? All right, oh, wipe, well, wipe, it up, wipe it up, guys. All right, well, just just guys, let's go back to the beginning. We'll start back off at the front gate of the goblin territory. That means we're going to have to retake out the guards, stop the the enforcers, and sneak our way past the uh, the archers so we can get back to this guy. You know, but we gotta we gotta make those rolls count. Yeah, you know, okay. don't don't waste your position. Yep. D- no, no, that seems like the dumbest thing ever. Yeah. And like I said, as a storyteller, it just seems exhausting wanting to rerun the same combats over and over again. Like, And this isn't even role-playing. Yep. There's an attempt to tiptoe into it with these backgrounds and drives that they kind of give you. And they even say, like, these are things that you can get your players to use, you know, to, to drive them into the quest. What quest? The 1d10 thing that I randomly rolled? Yeah. The thing that you literally described to me as like, uh, I don't know, find an ancient painting. Sure, whatever. 
to what end? Why does this character even matter? Right. Why do they care? Is it up to them to do it? Because if it's up to them to do it, it's even worse. The book in no way encourages players to make characters. In D&D, I look at the game and I'm kind of encouraged to make a, to, to make a certain race and try a certain character either to work against the system or work for the system in a specific world. Mm-hmm. Even if it's random. But in this, there's there's no feeling behind it. Yeah. Because the world is dead. The, the, there, there's nothing about a tree. And it feels like the writers felt that at least and kind of gave up on some of this crap. I have I've often thought about running a Dark Souls game. Um, I, I don't think... I don't think anyone in my group would have fun with it if I ran it, but I would really want to explore find the, the theme of finding light in the darkness. I don't you know? think you could do it. The problem with that, mm-hmm. in my personal opinion, and it's the problem with Dark Souls as a whole as a role-playing game, is you can't start at the end without having the world built by the people at the table so that they have interest in exploring the end. I'll give you that. I will give you that. Like, if you, if this game taught you that if you chose the class Knight, you needed to explain who your lord was, why you were devoted to him, and what secret you carry. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, now that has depth. Yeah. Right? That has depth. You may not remember your lord's name, but you remember his heraldry, and you'll call him the eagle. Mm-hmm. You know, you may not remember what made you stand as a knight, but you remember what made you kneel as a knight. And that was the rose in the garden, which was his wife. Right? You wanted to protect the rose garden. Yeah. Right? And... Lastly, like, you know, why are you standing today? Why is the ember still there? Why is your why are you still burning? Because I need to find water for the rose garden. Mm-hmm. Oh, it hasn't rained. I mean, it's a little maddening, but at the same time, it has reference. Mm-hmm. It has drive. It has feeling. And maybe. As I advance, instead of giving me freaking power, I also get a little role play out of it. Yep. Like, maybe I get a memory back. Maybe one of these NPCs was another knight. You know? Mm -hmm. And all of this could be part of role play, but it's never, ever there. There's no depth. They've given up. Like, the world that they're attempting to show, the writers gave up. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's sad. Let's get to some questions. Okay. <laughs> Let's all take a deep breath. I'm, I'm actually, I have a flask here for a reason. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I literally have a flask here for a reason. All right. So Vedran asks us, uh, how do you prepare your players for the very different cadence of that die, repeat, get good, particularly if they're unfamiliar with it? Um... I mean, here's the thing, is in this particular game, I'm not sure you do. Uh, but I think kind of like I said at the beginning, like, I, I would I would s- stress, if I were running this game, I would stress that, you know, 
death is not is not an end it's an opportunity to do better it's an opportunity to learn change tactics and go back in don't look at it as a failure it's not permanent you know um that for me was the mindset that got me through into and through the games um i don't know if it would translate well to the tabletop because in the games when i died i invested you know 45 seconds getting back to the place that i was um to fight the boss again in the tabletop game it's going to be significantly longer because D combat takes hours uh i i don't know what better advice i would give than that though yeah i i think for me having a mechanic where death is merely chisel a chiseling away at your soul is the roleplay mechanic If we if we could literally set aside the rules and the mechanics, if there was a way that we could have adapted or maybe this game actually had a telegraphed system that mm-hmm. you could learn, right? I think that alone, that simple change alone, if you grab that one mechanic or put in a flow chart for every every monster mm-hmm. and every boss, you set up a flow chart, even if some of it had a little diversion. Yep. Like, if someone is within this many steps, do this instead of this. And that would be great, because you can do that in the video game. You bait out attacks. Correct. You know, like, I, I, can, I can heal as long as he does the big overhand slam, because I know I have enough time while he's winding up for it. But he only does that if I'm so many so so far away from him, so I need to back off right. to make him do that attack. And, and my point to that is this, that if you did that, uh-huh. there is a payoff. There is. And it would make sense. And you'd have to do away with some of the chiseling of the character in a mechanical sense. Some of that. Mm -hmm. Because that just hurts at the table. That is the DM versus the players. It's the dice being the, the worst point of attrition. I would do away with that. But what I would do is I would chisel away at the role play. Right? Mm -hmm. I would force them to forget things, right? Like, maybe you have an array of cards that are set in front of your NPC that are flipped over, right? And Mm -hmm. when a new NPC shows up in the space, you can flip over one of those cards. When you die, I take that card from you. You no longer recognize them. Mm. So you're removing reality from them. Yeah. Like, that's roleplay. That's a way to make the mechanics about roleplay and make the game feel like you're losing yourself. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I would say is that to get that cadence of die, repeat, get good and have it feel like a success is at the end of that, instead of just handing them money and setting it down on the table in front of them as their souls, Mm -hmm. you know, is that on top of that, you also set down lore. They learn Mm -hmm. about themselves and about how they meet what they mean to this world. Yeah. That's that's how you make that worth it in a role playing game is you add the role play in it as food. Yep. Uh, so Nevim asks, "Do you need to have played the video games to enjoy the tabletop RPG?" Um, I, <laughs> I I dare say this is a hard yes. I I think it's a hard <laughs> yes. I don't I don't think this game is enjoyable even if you have played the tabletop RPG. But I think if you haven't, I think you would sit there just scratching your head going this this sucks i'm going to ask i'm going to answer the question by i'm going to ask the question do you need to have played the video game to enjoy the tabletop rpg 
no, if you've played the video game, you will not enjoy the tabletop RPG. <laughs> the thing is, you're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna enjoy it either way. But if you've played the video games, you'll know why, why you're not enjoying, enjoying the tabletop RPG. <laughs> I have to say that. I have yes. to say that. Uh, are there advices on how to uh, run a Dark Souls like scenario? Um, and he was talking about the die, try harder, uh, get good. I, I don't, I don't think that translates very well to the tabletop at all. That entire scenario, but um, you know, I, I think all, uh, basically everything, everything Rob just said um, about you know simulating the hollowing by like remarking that they don't remember certain things anymore, um, or you know, certain snippets of of what their lost memories are uh, from from prior to the curse. Uh, you know becoming very blurred and literal in a sense of like, I have to find water for the Rose garden, you know, right. Not, not understanding that that means the lady of the house anymore. Right. I know? need to care for the lady of the house. You know, right. the Lord is gone. You just know Rose garden and you're like, ah, oh, it must be, it must be a Rose garden. It must yeah. be like an actual literal Rose garden. Cause yeah. I can't think of any other context. Yeah. I've it. lost my Rose garden. I need to find a new garden and it's an all consuming drive for me. And I don't know why. But I have to find roses. Right. You know. Um, and and just, just that simplicity is like, it's hard to do that, but it is all role play. Yeah. And it requires a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think, again, like a lot of the, you know, leaning heavily into the themes of, uh, of entropy, you know, figuring out what truly matters when the world is essentially already dead. Yeah. Um, and... What what can you do in that in that circumstance? Where mm-hmm. do you find hope? Um, Knox in the box in the live chat earlier described the fire keepers as literal manifestations of the flame of hope, and I think that's great. You know, no, I think that's I think that's fantastic. I think that's that's a theme you should explore and stuff like that. But as far as the whole die, try harder, get good part, you can't because it's all random rolls. Right. Um. And I and I think that's that's emphasizing the worst part of D and D combat. Mm-hmm. Um, and just making it your core gameplay mechanic and ignoring everything that makes the Dark Souls story and universe good. And compelling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Overwatch asks, Dark Souls and Soulslike games have a unique methodology and very specific mechanics Mm -hmm. that don't seem like they would translate well to a tabletop RPG, and yet here it is. It did not. Yep. Didn't make that translation at all. Um, is there another game or game type that uses its own unique conventions that you think would could survive the translation to pen and paper RPG. Wow. Other games that have unique conventions. Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, I did Elder Scrolls, but that's very generic fantasy when you boil it down. Portal? The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Um... Portal could be interesting. Has a unique convention. Yeah. But again, uh, it's it's challenging. I don't know. I but but the thing is, the core mechanic is essentially spatial puzzles, and I don't know how well those translate to like an RPG. You know. No, I I don't. And that's the thing. It wouldn't I don't... be a fun or compelling game, but you could do it. <laughs> Paranoia. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Because really, the game, the role play, the the challenge is getting through the situations. The role play is figuring out what the truth is. Mm-hmm. I mean that's it's a mystery game. That's yeah. the truth. Yeah. All the all the lore is hidden behind panels and secrets that you unlock by by finishing the challenges in unique ways that they weren't originally intended. Uh Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven would make an amazing role playing game. It it already has. I know. I was kidding. So um <laughs> reversed. That was a reverse. Um Unique Conventions. I'm trying to think of one more. 
like a video game that has a unique convention. I I saw um I saw a suggestion and this is as close as I can think to a good to a good answer here. Um I saw a a good suggestion for running stealth like Metal Gear Solid. Um where Oftentimes when we run stealth in role-playing games, if you fail a stealth check, you're noticed by the guards and instantly it is the, it's, it's just on, you know, people start loading their shotguns and saying, shame. Um, True. But uh, instead, you, your first failure should be a guards are now on alert. They think they know something. At which point your difficulties ramp up, your carefully planned and scouted out guard routes start changing, mm-hmm. because now they're searching, not just patrolling, um, and you need to go into kind of an evasion mode. And if you can pass a number of checks, maybe just one, maybe two or three, they will go back to, oh, it was just the wind, etc. So it isn't an instant thing, it adds a layer of tension to yourself. That's the closest I can think of a video game mechanic that I would like to see implemented in RPGs. Hitman. The Hitman series. Okay. You know the target. Yep. You you effectively have a site. In some cases, you have... You, you just have a goal. And you have some secondary goals. It is a straightforward mechanic system where you're given the map, you're given to a limited set of tools, and you're said, do this thing. Mm-hmm. I think that t- translates well to a lot of RPGs. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And you can do you can still have a lot of storytelling that wraps within that that has meaning. Absolutely. So, I think Hitman as a series could translate pretty damn well. Yeah, okay. I'll give that to you. Yeah, under a, a number of systems. Mm-hmm. Um Savage World, I mean arguably you could do it in D&D, but it wouldn't it wouldn't work. It wouldn't feel as good. Yeah. Um I think you'd want to keep things simple, and I think you'd want to have the success rate high, and the failure and the failure that occurs require a lot more challenges or a lot more consequences. Yeah, like yeah. it would be success or consequence that could lead to failure. Yeah, I agree. So th- those types of systems, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely think you could you could translate Hitman yeah. as a series. All right, you want to so, wrap this hour and 40 minute long rant? Yeah, up? let me give you 30 seconds to talk about next week's topic. Uh, all right, so next week's topic, we are going to be talking about what is a B-plot. Uh, we talk a lot about like the main quest and you know big bad evil guys and such like that, and what the party is all directly focusing on, saving the world, finding a new home world for the colonists, or whatever uh, is going on in your game. But uh, what's a B plot? What do you do with like little plots that you don't want to take up all the time, but you want to make uh, you know right into your story, or maybe even something that's attached to an individual character, exactly, or something that your players latched onto, and now you want to do something about that. Yep. All right. Well, you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave, on Instagram at st underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave. And join us up on our Discord. You can find the link on our Twitter as well as our website, storytellerconclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members, especially our name members, Knox in the Pox, Subjet, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, Hulaboo, and Sean. We really appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music that you may have been listening to prior to our live show is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors. That's by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. 
I should actually say YouTube music now. And then our outro music is uh, playing right now, and that's Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. Big shout-out, as always, for our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us all Thank these you. years. <laughs> uh, all of our friends who've sat with us at our tables all these years to give us these great stories to share with you and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you guys so much. Love you. Good night. Good night. <laughs>